think we got that all sorted out. Good morning. Happy New Year. We, entered, we said it last week, we'll say it again this week. It's a whole new year ahead of us, opportunities to grow. Talked last week, we want to make sure that at the end of this year that we are spiritually stronger and standing firmer than we are right now. Not because we're in a bad place or a really lousy place right now, but just that there needs to be growth in our lives. If we're, um, my sister gave me a couple three by five cards in junior high. I think I've shared this before, and I still I don't I don't know if I have the cards anymore, but I remember what she wrote on those cards, and one of them is that green is growing and ripe is rotting. So if you're not growing, folks, look out. Be careful. We need to be growing and, and moving forward. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. It seems to be lacking a lot in our world today. So, Father, we just ask that you would soak our hearts in your word, drench us with it. We may be permeated and just full of you because of time we spent in your word and because time we spent with you in prayer and time that we spent together in fellowship as a body. Thank you for this day, Father. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapters 13 and 14. Uh, We finished 13. Uh, I think the last time we were in Acts was like the 18th of December. And so we have in Acts 13 and 14, we'll start 14 today, we have the first missionary journey of Paul. Paul and Barnabas uh, start out from Antioch, and um, have 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 encountered a lot of difficulties along the way, some persecutions because of their stand for truth. They'll end up back in Antioch at the end of chapter 14 too. But one thing we noticed and and called out in in chapter 13 was the repetition of the use of the word, the phrase, the word of God. And that that was the emphasis. That's what they were teaching and preaching as they would go. They would go to a new city. They would start out in the Jewish synagogue. And they would preach and teach the word of God. And that's mentioned nine times in Acts chapter 13. And just from basic Bible study methods, we know that if God says it once, it's important. But if, he, if it's emphasized and repeated, then it's, it's more important. We need to pay more attention to it. And so it, a great emphasis in chapter 13 is the use of the phrase, the word of God. And that's what we need to grow and live in. That's what we, how, how we will be fed spiritually, is by being in the word of God. Peter and, or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas found out that, that the message of God can be offensive. And, and, and people say, well, how could a loving God allow this to happen? happen? We need to remind you that he did not come to bring peace. That was not his purpose. If you look in, in I won't turn there, but if you look in Luke 12, 51 to 53, he says, I did not come to bring peace. That wasn't my purpose. If the word of God is taught properly it it is offensive 
Because we are sinners and God is holy. Those, those, that's like oil and water. They don't mix. Okay? So Paul and Barnabas found out that, that their preaching and teaching of the word is offensive. And, and I'm going to get ahead of myself. I'll, we're going to come back to this later on, okay? About the word being offensive. The message is offensive. Jesus Christ's life was offensive. Because it was light into the darkness. It was truth into the, the darkness of, of sin and evil. So it wasn't, and, and, and God never promised us that it's going to be easy to live. And in fact, he says, if you are living and following me, you will find difficulties. You will be persecuted. And so as we get into, begin in chapter 14 today, uh, we, we know that, that one of the purposes of, of Paul's missionary journeys was to spread the gospel and share Jesus Christ, but it was to also establish the church. I want to read an excerpt from George Sweeting's book that I've been studying uh, in the book of Acts. And he says, in the year AD 532, Emperor Justinian I set out to build a magnificent church in Constantinople called St. Sophia. He summoned the most gifted architects of his day to plan and superintend the project. 10,000 workmen were employed, 12 different kinds of marble were brought from around the world, and 320,000 pounds of gold were spent on the enterprise, which practically emptied the emperor's treasury. Gold, silver, ivory, and precious stones were all used for decorative ornamentation. Provincial governors were called on to send their finest relics to the new office. Justinian pushed his workers relentlessly to finish the project in under six years. By December of 537, the construction was complete. To celebrate the event, the emperor led a solemn procession into the great church. Once inside, Justinian stepped up to the pulpit, raised his hands, and cried, Glory to God who thought me worthy to accomplish so great a work. O Solomon, I have vanquished you. Really? That's the best you could come up with? For years, St. Sophia was known as the Great Church. Its builder, Justinian, was honored for his monumental achievement. The apostles of Jesus also built churches. Their construction plans were not quite so elaborate, but the final product was every bit as endearing, enduring. Their plans did not call for subsidies from the state treasury, and they did not exhaust ancient mines of precious metals. Their material was mainly flesh and blood. Their architect was the living God. Their foundation was his only son, Jesus. Their mortar was the Holy Spirit. They built a living monument, one that could grow and spread. Its architecture could not go out of fashion, as did the Byzantine features of St. Sophia. Its construction was not prompted by the will of one man. Its resilience and endurance testify that it could only be an act of God. The book of Acts says a lot about church building. Building the church is not about building a building. First thing that that was important to Paul and Barnabas in their church building process was to preach the word. After all, that's where you get it, right? That's the beginning of it. Is at the very beginning is to preach the word, 2 Timothy 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 2. Paul tells Timothy, let me turn there. 
I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Patience, if anything, is is one of the things that's very evident in the the ministry of Paul and Barnabas on their first missions trip. They're very patient. But the beginning point was to preach the word. One of the commentators said, and I quote this week, I just love the way he phrased it. He says that Paul and Barnabas were, quote, compulsively addicted to preaching. I love that, that the phrase, just the, the words, it just, just comes off compulsively addicted to preaching. And if you look back just a couple of pages to Acts chapter 4. And verse 20. And this, this was Peter, but I know that it carries over to Paul, okay? And then it, Paul was, had the same heart and was in the, the same place. And Peter and John held this in common with Paul and Barnabas. But in verse 20, they're before the Sanhedrin and they say, they just talked about, uh, okay, verse 19, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. We obviously can because we don't speak as we should. For if we spoke as we should, the Holy Spirit would work and the word of God would spread through Newberry and through the eastern UP like it did through these cities that Paul and Barnabas were going to teach. So they they could not help but preach what they had seen and heard. They were compulsively addicted to preaching. Well, what, what were they preaching? And as we look in Acts chapter 14, verse 1, it says that it came about that in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a great multitude believed, both of Jews and of the Greeks. And, and, and what was that manner? Well, I, I, would guess, I would guess that it was probably very similar to, to the outline of his message from chapter 13. Just a brief summary real quick. Remember chapter 13, verses 17 to 23, we looked at the 12 or 13 active verbs that that Paul uses in his sermons there, the active verbs of what God had done for his people, what God was doing for them. Then he talked about John the Baptist and the prophets and how the, the prophets had told him that Messiah was coming. John the Baptist said Messiah is coming. Messiah came and they didn't acknowledge him. They, they, they put him to death. Indeed, part of that was all to fulfill the prophecy that was told ahead of time. <clears throat> and they put him to death, but, and then in verse 30 of chapter 13, but God, okay, as one of our but gods, but God raised him from the dead. He didn't stay in the grave. God raised him from the dead. In verse 37, he whom God raised did not undergo decay. So he was the pure son of God. And, and the, the key, the whole point to the message of chapter 13 is verses 38 and 39. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you through Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to get out of the way. Hopefully you can see this. What all, sorry, Dan and Steve, probably in your way. Read, read this verse with me, please. 
We'll start and end with the, with the uh, reference. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Looking at chapter 13, verse 38 again. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him, Jesus Christ, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Excuse me. <clears throat> we know that when Jesus Christ came, and we've talked about it many times as we've studied our way through Acts, that Jesus Christ fulfilled the Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the the temple. <clears throat> and in this chapter thirteen, we talked that Jesus Christ fulfilled. The prophecy that Jesus Christ fulfilled the prophecy that the prophets had told ahead of time. Sorry. <coughs> I even had two candies before this morning to try to avoid this. Doesn't want to stop. The key to their message and the, the title of the message today is to preach in such a manner. They were preaching in such a manner as to make it very clear that the way of salvation is Jesus Christ. It was the gift of God. Nothing that we can do, not our works, but it was through God's grace. We could not be freed from the law of Moses. That didn't bring salvation. But they were to preach in the way they did preach and the way they faithfully and patiently preached was the word of God. And through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things. Back to chapter 14, verse 1. It came about that in Iconium they entered the synagogue of the Jews together. We know that this was the, the practice and the habit. And if we turn to Acts 17.2, you'd see it again. That Paul would go into the synagogue because as a Jew, he wanted the Jews to, to, be, to hear the word and the gospel. Although their mission and their ministry was primarily to the Gentiles. He, he, he kind of had that, that home, not home field advantage, but that home field urge that he wanted to get, get the word to the Jews first. And then he would spread out and, and give it to the Gentiles in the cities there. And they spoke in such a manner that a great multitude believed both of the Jews and of the Greeks. When the word of God is preached and the Holy Spirit works, people believe. And they believe in Jesus' name. But the Jews, verse 2, who dis- disbelieved, stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. And I, and I, th- I think it's a different purpose here we talked about when it was the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and Pharisees in Jerusalem 
that, that they were afraid of losing their relevance. That, that, that's why they didn't want this Jesus and this resurrection thing to be true, and they didn't want it to be preached. Because then the temple, we know that Christ fulfilled the law in the temple and the prophecy, then the temple would become irrelevant, and the people wouldn't need to come. They could worship God elsewhere. <coughs> they were afraid of becoming irrelevant. further we get away from Jerusalem and the fewer of the Orthodox Jews, you don't have the Sanhedrin and the, and the Pharisees out there in the, in the Asia Minor and the surrounding areas. So it's a, it's a different reason, and it's, I think it's just purely Satan at work. And as, as we started out, we'll come back, and I told you we'd come back to this, is that the message is offensive. Jesus Christ was offensive. The Paul and Barnabas in their lives were offensive because it's shining the light in the darkness. And people don't like to people don't like to be told, You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Because we have done evil and we've we've broken away and, and disobeyed God and what He has told us to do. We are all sinners. That's not something, oh yeah, keep telling me that. I'd love to hear that. That's good news. No, it's not good news. It's offensive. And so the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Tim Keller gives us a basic principle of ministry. He says, the greater the effectiveness of a ministry, the greater the resistance and opposition. So the greater... The greater the effectiveness of a ministry, the greater the resistance and opposition. I have a little different way of saying it, and you've heard me say it many times, and I'll say it many more times. The more the name of Jesus Christ is exalted, the more the enemy tries to fight it, and the more the enemy hates it. So Tim, Tim Keller and I agree a little bit there. I just say it a little differently. When we exalt the name of Jesus Christ, and that's what Paul and Barnabas are doing when they're preaching in such a manner. When they're preaching and teaching the word of God and that salvation is through no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. And Satan doesn't like that. The enemy doesn't like that because he knows that that's why he's defeated. The more we exalt the name of Christ, the more the enemy tries to fight, and that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing right here in the city of Iconium. Verse 3, therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly. <laughs> you know, that, that, that you, why, why did they spend a long time there? When you're getting that kind of resistance and opposition, aren't, aren't you supposed to run away from it? No, no, because they were bold and they relied upon the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace granting that the signs and wonders were being done by their hands. Say that God has a plan for you if you're, if you're still here. God's not done with you yet. We've got to be about his work. Paul and Barnabas stayed there because they weren't done with the work that he had for them there. And it was obvious that they were still supposed to be there because God was continuing to bless their ministry with miracles. He would work through them. And, and they, they, it says, in their reliance upon the Lord, they weren't saying that they were doing these miracles through their own power or their own strength. They were giving God the credit. They knew that it was because of His power. 
that they were able to do these things. It wasn't in their name. It wasn't in their power. It was in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, there's that word again, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified, and here's the key, the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's really sad. I didn't even get one amen from reading God's word. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, he, in verse 12, he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. There is nothing that we could do. It is not in our power and it is not in our abilities or the skills that we have. We can't, it's not possible. It is only through God, through his son Jesus Christ and what he did for us. He has qualified us. God, by his grace, has qualified us for eternal life. I want to read a, another one from somebody else. Uh, this is from Tony, Tony Moreta's book. And just a, a real clear example to understand. Recently, my son and I were traveling home and got to the airport earlier than anticipated. So I called the airline and asked to be put on standby for an earlier flight. Since I fly so often, I qualify for free standby access. In other words, if seats are open on a particular flight and I'm at the top of the standby list, I can get on a different flight from the one I booked, free of charge. In this case, I had to pay $50 for my son to get on the earlier flight with me. Why? Well, he doesn't have enough points to merit the free access. He doesn't qualify for the perk that I enjoy. Aren't you glad that the gospel doesn't work like that? We don't have to earn enough moral points with God or pay a certain price for the wrong we've done for gaining access into the kingdom through the salvation Christ offers. Praise God that through Jesus we can have access to God by grace through faith apart from works. And we all know that is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. This scandalous, and I I love this, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to read this. This scandalous message of grace enrages self-righteous legalists. And that's what we had here in in Iconium. Were some self-righteous legalists that didn't think that it should be the way that Paul and Barnabas were preaching in, in that manner. 
says the scandalous message of grace enrages self-righteous legalists. It also enrages the enemy when we exalt the name of Jesus Christ. They were strong because they were reliant on the Lord. They preached about the grace of Jesus while they relied on the grace of Jesus. Verse 4, okay, uh, verse 3 again. They spent a long time there. Um, again, it was, it was obvious that God wanted them there because he continued to bless their ministry with the miracles that were being done in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, but the multitude of that city was divided and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. The, the intellectuals would tell you that that, that was the whole city. Okay, you were either on this side or that side. There wasn't anybody neutral standing in the middle. There was no Switzerland there. Everybody, the the city was divided. It it was a clear distinction. You were either in this camp or you were in this camp. The multitude of the city was divided. Be careful. When the attempt, verse 5, when the attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. The multitude was divided. And first it was just verbal. Okay? They, they, were, they were slandering Paul and Barnabas. Don't listen to those idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. And that, and, and that alone divided. But then they went down that slippery slope. One thing leads to another, and now there's planned violence. They plan to stone them to death. I mean, that was the purpose of stoning. It wasn't just to get their attention or to drive them out of town. The idea of stoning was to physically kill them. And so the, the, the gossip, the rumor, the innuendo, the, the slander, the, the tearing them down and tearing them apart went to the next step. And as a group, the, the, the part that was against the teaching and preaching of God's word, that they wanted nothing to do with Paul and Barnabas. They, they were at the next step. They were going to murder them. Look at Proverbs 29, or you can just listen, Proverbs 29.10. Men of bloodshed hate the blameless, but the upright are concerned for his life. And then Luke 12, you can turn to that one if you would. Luke is also the author of Acts, and he writes in his, his book of Luke, in chapter 12, verses 51 to 53. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you, no, but rather division. For from now on, five, five members in one household will be divided, three against two, two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I would joke there and say something about son-in-laws, but I'll leave that alone. (laughs) Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you, no. But division. And to go back to Tony Moreta and, and, and... 
Another line in his, his section here is, in verse 4, we see people divided. Why the gospel unites people who would never otherwise be united, it also divides the human race. If the gospel message shared is not both uniting and dividing, in fact, you can be sure that the true gospel isn't being preached. And I would dare say that over the years of this church, we've, we've been here four years on Tuesday this week. I can't believe it's been four years. Yeah, you guys are patient. You guys are long-suffering. <laughs> oh, what was I going to say? <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> that thought came out of nowhere. Okay, if the gospel message shared is not both uniting and dividing, in fact, you can be sure that the true gospel isn't being preached. And I would dare say that in the 70, 60, 70 years of this church, that there are some people that have left the church because the word of God was being preached. I I would dare say that that's, and without me knowing all the details and who, what, when, or where, I I can almost guarantee you that people have left this church because the word of God is being preached. That's a good thing. Not that we want to run people out the door. But the important thing is that the truth is being taught. That the word of God is being taught. Verse 6, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of, and now, now I've got to stop and think this one through because it's, this is a tricky pronunciation. It's five syllables. I looked this up, okay? It's lick a onia. Where to, to get the emphasis on the right place. Now, so that we can kind of understand and make it easier in our, our frame of reference, Michigan is a state, it has counties, and then in those counties there's cities. I'm not even going to try to say it again, but this first one is a, we'll, we'll call it a county in the, in the state of Galatia. Uh, we, we've talked about earlier, we've talked about Pamphylia and Pergia, okay? They were like counties in the area, and in those counties are cities. So the two cities that they, that they went to were Lystra and Derby, and they were in that county, okay? And then they went to this, and it's kind of funny because, oh, thank you. Thank you, Ruthann. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, we've got, we see uh, Pamphylia here, Pisidia, Pergia, those are the, the, the um, counties. And then we know that they came from the island of Cyprus. They landed at Attila and went to Perga. Then they've been up at Antioch. They've come down to Iconium and now to Derby and Lystra and down in this area. And it's kind of funny because they went to the big city first, and each city they've gone to has been progressively smaller. And the, the area in that county that, that Lystra and Derby are is, is very desolate, very sparsely populated. Not a lot of people there. But these Paul and Barnabas went there to take the gospel... And there, and that's what they did in verse 7. And there they continued to preach the gospel. They, they, they went to the big cities first. And then they were driven from, from Antioch over to Iconium. And now from Iconium down to, to Lystra and Derby. But in what they did, they were faithful. 
and they were faithful in that they continued to preach the gospel. As we read in Colossians, God, by his grace, has qualified us to be members of his kingdom. Nothing that we can do. It is only in the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus, only through his name, that we can approach the throne of God. Nothing that we can do. So, are you prepared to speak in such a manner? Are you willing to chance that division between a family member, between a neighbor? As much as we can, the word tells us to live peaceably with all men. That's true. But if what divides us is the truth of the word of God, so be it. We have a responsibility to tell others and to preach in such a manner, to teach in such a manner, to share in such a manner that Paul and Barnabas did. (laughs) Last week, I don't don't even know where it came from. Maybe somebody in our family. I I think you ended up forwarding to me. I don't know where it came before that, but there was a, a Dairy Queen sign. It says, ruining people's New Year's resolution since 1962. (laughs) Don't give up on your New Year's resolutions. All right? Don't give up on them. We we talked last week about looking back, and then we, we went over five New Year's resolutions to make, and then you were supposed to go home and make more yourself. Don't give up on them, people. Because if we aim at nothing, that's exactly what we hit. And if we fail to plan, we plan to fail. Okay? I I pray that one of your New Year's resolutions, and it was one of those that we talked about here, is that we would share the gospel. I resolved this year to share the word of God. I pray that with Paul and Barnabas, or excuse me, it was Peter and John that it was mentioned directly, but obviously from their lives, we know it applied to Paul and Barnabas too. But as it said in Acts 4.20, we cannot stop speaking of what we have seen and heard. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for you that that you made this possible. You, You made a plan for our salvation, even in our sinfulness. You loved us. And you took that on yourself. Thank you that you have qualified us to grace that we might be in your kingdom because of what you have done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.